are in a series on the book of Exodus, and I'd like to share with you a message entitled God's House on Earth. God's House on Earth. We're going to be in Exodus chapter 25. Uh, Let's open with a brief word of prayer and just ask God to just speak in and through all of us and through mostly through his word. Um, And most of all, as you have come and gathered into this place, uh, expecting God to speak to you, Uh, In some way, I pray that that happens through our message time. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so grateful for an opportunity once again to learn, to study, to dig into the words that you have passed down throughout all these many generations. And as we do, may our hearts be lifted, may our minds be opened, may our souls and spirits be broadened into receiving more and more of your love and more and more of your grace more and more of your kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. May the words of all of our mouths and the meditations of all of our hearts truly be pleasing in your sight, O Lord, our rock and our redeemer. Amen. How are you? No, I mean like, how are you? Okay, how do you answer this question when you get the question, how are you? All right, Helen, fine. What else do you say? Good. Okay. Dying? Ezekiel, when somebody asks you how you are doing, you answer dying? Okay, well, while that is physiologically accurate, is it socially pleasant? No, okay, but, you know, Ezekiel's like, but it's, it's, it's physiologically accurate. I am dying right now. Okay, well, you've got to talk to those parents. I don't know what's going on there. <laughs> So, uh, I've asked this question thousands of times, you've asked this question thousands of times, answered this question, and here's usually uh, the general responses that I get. Fine, good, uh, di- yeah, I'm going to have to add dying now to the list, um, and that's going to have to be part of my new repertoire, thank you, Ezekiel. <laughs> I will blame my decline in social capital on you, so anyway. Um, but fine, good, and... A response that I hear very, very often, especially in this valley, is tired, or I hear the phrase busy. And I'd like to ask the question, is this fundamentally what we look like, what we feel like, both inside and outside? As I was preparing for this message, I will tell you that I have been living this to the nth degree. Danielle actually said to me this uh, this weekend, she said, I know it's kind of hard to believe, but this may actually be the craziest weekend in our lives. Um, I had a retreat. Um, some of you know that I'm in school, so my finals are due this week, and I had a retreat that I was speaking at this weekend. I just officiated a wedding this morning in San Francisco and drove back down here, and then I start school tomorrow morning. So, And I, this image just seems to encapsulate a little bit of this busyness and the tiredness and all of that. And and then you're trying to get a good, you know, solid five hours of sleep, maybe, if, if, you, get, if you get lucky and all this stuff. I share that with you because part of the challenge I think that all of us face is that whatever answer we give to the question, how are you, oftentimes the responses that we give, whether it's good, fine, tired, busy, okay, or dying, um, our responses can sometimes be a badge of honor. So I'm just kind of confessing to you, I guess, When I say busy, or when I say tired, because there's so much going on, 
Sometimes we say that, sometimes I say that with this twinge of, I must have some important things in my life that is so occupying and monopolizing my time that my answer must be busy. And I've been quite convicted of this, not only this weekend or in recent years, but ever since I was 15. My youth pastor said to my father, Kevin's biggest problem in life is that he's never going to be able to say no. And that has been a prophecy that has haunted me my entire life. Now, in certain circumstances, I suppose that's fine. It's good. But when I come to passages like we're going to study today, and to think and consider deeply about this story that's been passed down to us and the symbols that are found in the stories that are passed down to us, um, it ceases to be a badge of honor and starts to become a real big question mark into who you are, how you live, what you think is important, what you think is valuable, and who is God in your life in the midst of all that. So today we're going to dig in deep into that. Uh, The passage that we're going to read from Exodus chapter 25 is the inauguration, is the beginning of the building of the tabernacle. Danielle did a fantastic job last week sharing about how building the tabernacle builds not just the physical thing, but it builds us. Something happens to us when we build this. And today is going to be an extension of that. This message is an extension of that idea. Um, And it's going to go deeper into the broad scope of the message that the tabernacle, and specifically how the instructions of the tabernacle, are going to inform the symbolism and the message that I think God is trying to communicate and share uh, and put So let's read together Exodus chapter 25, starting in verse 1. We'll read a short portion, just uh, verses 1 through 9. I'll have it up on the screen. If you'd like to follow along in your uh, digital or analog text, you are more than welcome to do so. Uh, And then we'll get to some of the insights that I think are here. And hopefully, like I said before, that will bless us and help us to become more engaged with what God has for us. So, The Lord said to Moses, Tell the Israelites to bring me an offering. You are to receive the offering for me from everyone whose heart prompts them to give, which is what Daniel mentioned last week. These are the offerings you are to receive from them, gold, silver, and bronze, blue, purple, and scarlet yarn, and fine linen, goat hair, ram skin, dyed red, and another type of durable leather, acacia wood, olive oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil, and for the fragrant incense, and onyx stones and other gems to be mounted on the ephod and breastplate. And here's the key phrase. Then have them make a sanctuary for me, and I will dwell among them. Make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern I will show you. This particular passage inaugurates the very fine details, architectural details, very specific details of the building of the tabernacle. The book of Exodus, while it's known for the Exodus out of Egypt, one-third of the book of Exodus, and that's a huge chunk, one-third is specifically about the building of this tent, essentially out in the middle of the desert. And a lot of people have a lot of questions about that, and I think Danielle's message from last week is definitely right in line with that. But there's a second level to that that I'd like to share with you today, which is in this last verse in verse 9, It says specifically that you're to make this tabernacle and all its furnishings exactly like the pattern that I will show you. And that word, the pattern, is the word tavnit. Everybody say tavnit. Tavnit. 
Now, Tavnit uh, is translated uh, different ways throughout the scriptures. It is sometimes known as a model. It is a pattern. Sometimes it's translated like an image or a form or a plan. And most likely it has this idea that just like you would build a model, uh, you would have a plan, and that you would build a model that represents something else, so this word tavnit also has that connotation when building this the tabernacle, building this sanctuary. It is clearly a model of something else that it represents. Sometimes uh, in Joshua and Deuteronomy, it has this connotation even deeper, a copy. So that when you look at this thing that you're building out in the middle of the desert, it is essentially to be a copy of whatever that original thing is. It's to be made in its likeness. So part of the tabernacle idea is not just that it's building us and we are building it and those two are working together, but it is also that the thing that you will ultimately and eventually build with all of its fine details, all of those details, is in some way supposed to mirror or be a model or an image or a copy of something else. And the question has to emerge, if that's the case, if God has given us this direction to build this tabernacle according to the model or according to the pattern that I have shown you, what exactly is the tabernacle modeling? There are some clues that I'd like to point out for you And the clues start immediately in the first verse that we already started with the phrase, and God spoke to Moses saying. Now, this is a very specific phrase found in Exodus. It starts here in verse one of this chapter that we started. And guess how many times it shows up throughout the rest of the tabernacle building instructions? Seven times. Now, you are biblical scholars. You've been with us throughout all of Genesis. You've talked about numbers and their symbols. You know that things are not put in the scriptures just by happenstance. They have deep meaning and symbolic resonance to other things. When you hear the number seven, what do you immediately think of? Creation. I was afraid somebody was going to say 7-Eleven, but I'm glad we didn't go there. (laughs) Creation. Every time you see this number seven, you are thinking immediately of the creation story, the creation narrative found in Genesis. Day one, day two, day three, day four, day four. And seven times in Genesis does God declare it is good. And on the seventh time, he declares it is very good. So when Exodus, in the giving of the tabernacle instructions, has this to say, this particular saying shows up, the divine saying of God to Moses seven times, we should start to pay attention that all of the wondrous, beautiful imagery that comes to the creation narrative is now going to be made in cloth and in wood and in gold and in furniture in this thing called the tabernacle. I want to take you through those sayings really quickly because there's some additional resonances that I think will back up this theory. Um, Verse 1, creating the lampstands. First of all, this first divine saying is the biggest chunk of the directions. And you'll see later on that the next sayings come lesser. But at the very beginning, this is the biggest chunk. Lampstand, it talks about the table. There's huge passages on the framework, the veil, the curtain, the altar of burnt offerings, the court, the oil for the lamp, the vestments for the priest, the ordination, the altar of incense. There's a whole bunch of things that are designed to be very, very specific 
in this very opening passage. You have the Ark of the Covenant. You get a little bit of a sense of the size that it would have been, and you are to put cherubim on top and to make sure that I, at that particular top of that Ark, is where we are going to meet. The rings around the side have to be of a certain size, and the poles have to remain inside all the time. You are to make a table of a certain time, uh, type on top of that table. You are to put the bread of the presence. And some scholars have suggested that what does bread have to do with being in a tabernacle? Well, there's some that suggest that just like you would feed people at a table, well, here is a feeding of the God at the table. So if we're meeting God here in this holy place, then the bread is for God. But there's another resonance that is possible too, that if the tabernacle is an image and a picture of the creation story, what did God do in the Genesis story? What did he bring forth out of the earth? But bread, food, seed-bearing plants that were to be the provision for the people that were ultimately to inhabit. You are to make the lampstand of a specific, specific shade and specific measurements. And just like God opens up his story with let there be light, so we walk into this tabernacle, into this tent, and we declare and we see that there is light here, the very first symbol of creation. Then you're supposed to make this in a very specific way. There's going to be a veil in between the entrance and the opening. Some have even suggested, like, just like God put a firmament in the sky that separated the waters above from the waters below, so now these veils and these borders are also now putting separations between outside and inside, just like in the creation story. Uh, And then, of course, you're to make the ark, as we mentioned before. I've given you this particular picture because for those of you who have been with us to Israel, there's a city called Timnah down near the south of Israel. It's a very long, lengthy drive, and you're walking out through the middle of the desert, and you come across um, a model of the tabernacle there. And this is the model that they've uh, created. This is their depiction, artistic depiction of what it may have looked like. And what are to go inside the Ark of the Covenant? The tablets of the covenant. Aaron's budding staff, and then, of course, some of the manna. And they have coriander seed, because the Bible talks about coriander seed being very much like what that manna would have been. And then in this instructions, in this first segment, you are to put cherubim, cherubim on the veil. You have the holy place, which is where this image is being taken from. But behind that veil is the holy of holies. It is the most holy and sacred place. And the question is, why would you put angels, why would you put cherubim there? Well, if you remember back to your Genesis story, when Adam and Eve eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, God kicks them out. And then what does he do to ensure that he doesn't return, they don't return back into the garden? He puts cherubim, cherubim, it's the exact same angelic creatures there to guard the entrance to the Garden of Eden. So in many ways, to put cherubim on the veil between the holy place and the most holy place is very analogous to God putting the cherubim at the entrance to the Garden of Eden at the very beginning of the creation story. So as you enter into the holy of holies, as as the priest does, it is as if you are returning back unto the garden, the thing, the place that God originally intended to be holy good, very good, in all of his design. So you have a lot of resonances there. The second saying is 
sayings about the sanctuary offerings and some ransom for how you and I are to be ransomed should we do a sin. The third saying, and God spoke to Moses, is about the bronze basin, which has a lot of connotations to the sea, for that's just like the seas were created in Genesis, so now the sea is here in the bronze basin. The fourth saying, and God said to Moses, there's anointing oil and incense and rules for anointing. The fifth saying is about the spices, and then what do we do with the sixth day? Does anybody what remember what happens on day six of creation? What is created essentially on day six? Animals and people, the inhabitants of the earth. So the sixth saying of Exodus is the invocation of two people, Betzalel and Holiab. And they are to be essentially the fabricators and the architects of all these things, which I'm sure Moses and the people go, phew, because I don't know how to, I mean, don't give me a hammer because you don't want me building the Ark of the Covenant. It's kind of like me in my house. It's like, you know, I'm going to pay a contractor because I have no idea what I'm doing. So these guys are going to be the contractors. Now, what's so brilliant and beautiful about this is, number one, it's on the sixth saying, which corresponds to day six of creation in which man is created to fill up that space, that land, to then be caretakers of what God has created. And here on the sixth saying of the building of the tabernacle, we have two men that have been identified to essentially be the caretakers of what God has called us to create. And in addition to that, as I, you see on the screen, Betzalel is uh, a name that means in God's shadow. Uh, now, as soon as I hear the word betzalel, I immediately think of Adam and Eve that are created, and I'll say the English and then I'll say the Hebrew. They were created in the image and likeness. In Hebrew, betzalem, Elohim. So betzalel in God's shadow or in God's image is exactly like what Adam and Eve were created in God's image. So Betzalel is essentially a second person in God's image that is going to be doing this designing. And then you have this phrase, filled with the Spirit of God, the Ruach Elohim, the Spirit of God, which is there at the very beginning of creation. And Oholiab just simply means Father's tent. And he is to be the assistant. And those two names put together, and all of that just within these divine sayings, just within, and God spoke to Moses saying, we immediately get the invocation of the beautiful narrative of creation now found in the telling of the directions of this tabernacle. And just like creation was to be a dwelling place for God and his people, so now in our Father's tent is to be the dwelling place of God and his people. This is really beautiful. Because what is happening, and I'm getting ahead of myself because I'm too excited. <laughs> what is happening is when you see this building that we will show you some images of, you are to invoke within yourself everything of what creation means. From going from chaos to order that God speaks into the darkness and there comes light. Speaks into disorder and comes order. Speaks into chaos and out comes beauty and meaning and purpose. And so when you go to the tabernacle, when you celebrate this, the, all of that is being invoked in the celebrations and the traditions and the rituals that are there. 
The last saying, fascinatingly enough, follows right in line. Because on day seven, what does God do? He rests, stops. Shabbat literally means cease. He stops. And what is the seventh saying? And God spoke to Moses saying, now he gives the directions for how you are to celebrate the Sabbath at the tabernacle and deeply connected with the rituals therein. So even on the seventh saying, we're invoking the fullness of the creation story. And in many ways, just like the creation story in Genesis, this seventh saying, the idea of Sabbath, the idea of stopping, is essentially the pinnacle. This is it. Because just like God did a bunch of work day one, day two, day three, day four, day five, day six, on the seventh day, he ceased from all of his work to just simply dwell in the presence of what he has created with his creatures, with Adam and with Eve, and to experience the fullness of the joy and the pleasure and the delight. Eden is a word that means joy, pleasure, delight, to experience all of that on day seven. And in many ways, that is the same idea and concept for the tabernacle, in which on the seventh saying in this uh, chapter 31, verse 12, now that you have built and created this tabernacle, this tent out in the middle of the desert, so now you too are to cease from all your work. Come into the presence of God through the image of the tabernacle and now simply enjoy and be delighted in this relationship. There's several other ideas and things that, there was just so much, so I'm going to give you a couple snapshots. If you take a look at some of the descriptions in Exodus, and you've given, I've given you a couple of them, Exodus 39, Exodus 39:34, Exodus 40:33. you start to see that even throughout the minor descriptions of what is being done and how it's being finished, you start to see Genesis language being invoked. And then at the very end, when the tabernacle is to be essentially commissioned, it is to be done in the first month of the second year on the first day of the month the tabernacle was set up. In other words, this whole thing that God was doing with the building of the tabernacle is a complete recreation and an inauguration of something brand new. First day, first month. This is a whole new year. Don't you ever, every now and then, just need a whole new year? Like, you need that previous year to just go away. Some of you are like, I wish that previous hour would just go away. You know, the previous day would just go away. Whatever, the previous month. You get to the end of a period of time and you go, oh, if we could just erase that. I was in a meeting once. And I was with a, a colleague of mine. And it was one of those meetings where it just wasn't going well. And we left, and she said to me, I wish I could get that hour back. <laughs> Have you ever had one of those moments? I wish I could just get that year back. The tabernacle invoking all of the creation story and narrative is you getting that year back. It's the beginning of something brand new. It's the inauguration of a whole new recreation. And just like in the very beginning, God spoke into chaos and out came order. Something brand new had happened in that story. 
So now here in Exodus, with the building of the tabernacle, something brand new is happening in the the story of these Israelites. Brand new. It's a new beginning. How is that to be represented or how is that to be celebrated? In Exodus 19:30 and Exodus, excuse me, Leviticus 19:30 and Leviticus 26:2, there's this very specific phraseology, keep my sabbaths and revere my sanctuary. So those two things, keeping the sabbath and revering my sanctuary, the tabernacle that we are just described, are essentially one and the same thing. So to honor the Sabbath on that seventh day, that seventh saying, is essentially equated with honoring and revering this thing that you have just built. And a way of perhaps summing it up is that this whole entire creation story is now represented in a tent. And we do so by seeing all of the beauty and the intricacy of all the details, but as we just said here on day seven and on saying seven, how do we do so? We do so by recognizing and honoring the Sabbath. By ceasing from all of our work. By building into our lives a ritual of stopping. And entering into that presence and into that time and into that space. To say that, you know, this hour that we're going to have from this time to this time is sacred, is holy, is set apart, and is different from all other time. I started by asking the question, how are you doing? And I started by talking about busyness and freneticness and tiredness and going and schedules and calendaring. And think about walking into a cathedral with huge ceilings and ornate stained glass and intricate decorations made of all sorts of precious metals and architecture. If you've ever walked into one of those basilicas or any one of those buildings, there's an immediate sense and a feeling that you have walked into a holy space. Have you ever walked into one of those cathedrals in San Francisco, or maybe one of those in, in Europe, and these vast, huge buildings. Um, and they are designed specifically to invoke that response, that when you walk in, there's a sense that you get that this is a different space than this other space. According to this passage and according to this story, do you walk into a specific period of time and get that same overwhelming sense of the presence of the holy. And just like we can often avoid spaces that invoke the holiness and the presence of something divine, we can avoid those sacred times and not ever be connected once again with the sacred and the holy in those times. Commentators have suggested that the intricacy of the creation story and the Sabbath, the intricacy of the Sabbath and the honoring and the revering of the tabernacle has invoked one of the most powerful expressions of faith and spirituality and holiness. That what the tabernacle is to space, so the Sabbath is to time. 
that you have set aside a period of time in your life. And for the Jews, the traditional time is Friday at sundown till Saturday at sundown. That is a sacred time. And when that sun goes down on Friday, there is an overwhelming sense and a feeling that when that sun goes down, we have now entered into sacred time. Just like you would walk into a building and sense that you were in sacred space, the Sabbath is sacred time. And so for both of these things, in accordance with this story, it is here. With the creation story, with Sabbath, with tabernacle, it is right here where the concept and the idea of heaven and earth come together. And hopefully as we come together as a church, and when you gather together in a small group, or when you participate in a service, there's a sense that something very holy and metaphysical is happening in that space. But just like gathering in a space, we have also set aside time. And maybe in your family, you have set aside a time where you say, this time is sacrosanct to us, and nothing touches it. The cell phones are off, the TVs are off, or whatever busyness and and distractions exist, they go away. Why? Because it's in this moment, in these hours, where heaven and earth are going to come together. And this is a holy place. And it is this that God calls us to enter into to celebrate the Sabbath, to honor the tabernacle, to enter into that sacred space and time where heaven and earth come together. This is phenomenally beautiful. Now, we could go through all sorts of different things. For example, in the ancient world, time off was considered crazy. It was considered insane. Why would you ever take a day off? Consider about all the buildings and the structures and the architecture of the ancient world. There was no such thing as a day off. So when the Jewish people started thinking about a day off, uh, they were chided as being lazy, irresponsible. Oh, you just want to not be productive and not be a really high-functioning member of society. And I listen to those, those comments that come from the ancient world, and I think to myself, oh my goodness, has nothing changed? If I were to dare say, no, I'm not going to do that, what, if, what voices in my head are saying, are you not being productive? Are you not being good and efficient with your time? Don't you have things to do, places to go, people to see, missions to accomplish, worlds to save? <laughs> yeah, nothing has changed. And so this passage that invokes the building of the tabernacle is not just about building. It's about creating Space, creating time where heaven and earth come together and an invitation to enter into that space and time to keep it holy. And as we do, we recreate ourselves. Just like the creation story in Genesis, you and I get to be recreated. There are some implications in I just have some bullet point thoughts that have come from this idea. The building of the tabernacle is a small and humble structure, but it is an event of cosmic significance. 
And the idea that you set aside an hour in your day or 24 hours in your week as a family, as an individual, that may seem like a very humble moment. But according to this passage, according to these teachings, that time that you spend is of deep cosmic significance. It's huge. It's massive. It's the invocation of the entirety of the creation story. The setting aside of that space and time is God coming down from heaven to dwell in the midst of us. And when we set aside that space and we, we, when we set aside that time, we are inviting God to participate in us as much as God is inviting us to participate in him. To celebrate at the tabernacle and to honor the Sabbath is to recreate heaven and earth in space and time. Some other thoughts that I think are connected with this. The creation of the tabernacle by the Israelites is the counterpart of the creation of the universe by God, as we mentioned. And I love this phrase. Both were acts of self-renunciation, whereby the one made space for the other. Self-renunciation, the idea that you are to give up of yourself to invite the other to come and participate. And when you don't set aside that space and when you don't set aside that time, it is as if you have rescinded your invitation for God to be present. And to create that space and to create that time is to then renunciate yourself and invite God to be with you. What about this thought? Maybe the opposite of wholeness is not brokenness, which is what we talk about for. Maybe the opposite of wholeness is busyness. Maybe the opposite of the complete, beautiful creation story of God is not just that this world is broken or that I'm broken, but it's that I'm busy. And I can't be whole if I'm just all the time busy. And I would suggest that even from the biblical perspective, busyness without rest, without Sabbath, is the same as chaos. Oh boy, is this convicting. And then last, this is a Jewish traditional view. The Torah is not man's book of God. It is God's book of mankind. It is not difficult for an infinite, omnipotent creator to make a home for humanity. By the way, this comment comes with the question of, you know, there's very, very few verses regarding the creation of Genesis, but there's a lot of verses regarding the creation of the tabernacle. What's that all about? Here's this uh, teacher's take on that. It is not difficult for an infinite, omnipotent creator to make a home for humanity. That's why the Genesis narrative is so short. What is difficult is for human beings in their finitude and vulnerability is to make a home for God. How many of you feel this? That it is so difficult at times to create space and time in your home to make that space for God. And one of the great perpetrators is that busyness. So how are you doing? Fine. <laughs> Dying. Busy. Maybe there's something really brilliant about the idea of answering that question with good. 
And God saw all that he had created, and it was good. And God looked at over, over everything that he had created, and behold, it was very good. So how are you doing? I'm doing good. Really good. And what kind of beautiful life and gift would God give us if that was truly our response as we set aside space and time? In the Jewish tradition, there's a ritual. That ritual is when that sun goes down, it's time. It's party, it's family, it's food, it's celebration, it's rest. And the reason why the ritual is important is not because it's a religious duty. It is because it's the full celebration and invocation of God's recreation in us. And so we enter into that sundown on Friday with a full embrace. Yes, the Sabbath is here. So often in Christian circles, because of rules and regulations, we have all these different theologies. It's kind of like, well, we don't have to keep the Sabbath. And I'm thinking to myself, don't have to keep the Sabbath? You've com- have we missed it? This is one of God's most beautiful gifts. And then last thought, because the tabernacle ultimately is a home. Yes, God is desiring a house on earth. And where is that house? As we enter into the tabernacle and as we enter into the Sabbath time that honors that tabernacle and as God is there and we are entering into there, I will build my tabernacle and I will dwell in them. That was Danielle's message last week. Yeah, God is desiring a home here on earth. A home, a house of flesh and blood. This is what's so beautiful about our gathering and why we encourage you to come is because when you are here, we are creating once again space and time for God to dwell in the midst of us. God is in the presence and in the midst of his people. He is in the praises of our worship. He is in the midst of our conversations. He is in the midst of our learning and growing. And yes, he's even in the midst of our coffee. He is here. And so when we gather and when we honor space and when we honor time, God is here. And most of all, he's here. So my prayer is for us. That through the busyness of life and through all the things that we have to do. That we set aside space, we set aside time, we look forward to those spaces and those times. Where we invoke all of what God has created and recreated in and through us. And we celebrate that we get a whole new start every time we enter into that time. Father God, we bless you so much for calling our attention to the sacredness of everything, to the sacredness of time, to the sacredness of space. And I pray that our eyes and our hearts would be open even more to believing and sensing and recognizing the sacredness of those times and of those spaces. And for my brothers and my sisters who are listening to this message, who are here, will you help us, convict us, challenge us to begin to honor in whatever way we can, through ritual, through design, through purpose, through calendaring, whatever it is, to honor this time. And to create these spaces. And as we do, we invite you to be within us. We invite you to be present. 
And as you are present, we invite you to recreate us all over again. And may we receive that as a beautiful gift. And I pray this in your holy and very precious name. Amen.